hello. Uh, this is Brian Leo, and I'm guest hosting for White Hot Magazine. I'm sitting here with artist, screenwriter, um, actress, musician, among other things, uh, Julia Morrison. And uh, Julia, did I miss anything? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Thanks for that introduction. Yeah. Um, I mean, you are you're you're a Renaissance person. I, I you I, you have you 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 produce art in all these different medias and um, mediums. And uh, I try not to limit myself. Right. So, do you feel that? Uh, Right now, you've been producing a, a, a body of work that's uh, that's visual. Is that what you're? That's what you've been focusing on currently. Yeah. Well, I have a, a new track coming out, so I'm building a video for that, as well as I've got this body of work that I've been um, propagating online. Uh, art from Mr. Sock. I have um, some other projects in the works. I think of new ideas every day. Um, I don't mind constraints on work. I think sometimes an artist can really thrive within some limitations, but I would rather not place them on myself. So I usually look for um, what it is inside of myself that I need to express. And then from there, I find the particular medium that would marry the form to the function mm -hmm. of the work. Um, and then I just see what comes up, uh, including the mistakes, which are always important to lean into. And that's where you can usually find some real gold. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so we had been talking maybe like last uh, <clears throat> last year at, towards the end of the year when you were in Los Angeles uh, about perhaps working together and putting on a solo show of your uh, one of your series called the uh, is it called the Bukaki series? There's a, it's silkscreen work um, at my space in Chelsea, which I don't have anymore. It's it was called Brian Leo Projects. Rest in peace. Yeah, Brian uh, Leo Projects. That's what some people have been saying. Um, so that was a really that, cool thing that you did over there. Come on, give yourself more credit. You know. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, really cool. I think uh, over the course of last year, we had been like corresponding, uh, and you just encourage me to uh you know to take chances and things and and maybe I did and maybe the landlord didn't appreciate everything so <laughs> yeah um but I I don't I don't have any uh you know I mean everything's fine <laughs> so someone someone wise, I don't blame you <laughs> so someone wise once said to me um opportunity knocks but it doesn't beg Okay. And so I think if I remember correctly, uh, it was about, you know, doing more things with the, with the space and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. taking the opportunities that were coming towards you. Well, it must which, have stuck in my head at some point. And yeah. I was just like, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, one door closes, another one opens because we're no, things, here, we're here now. Cool. Things uh, are cool. I'm, I'm happy with, uh, you know, the digital artwork that I'm making on, uh, you know, on the computer and stuff right now. So, um so yeah, we were talking about, I mean, showing work from the Bukaki series and I think... Uh, My sperm paisley. Right. And when we were when we were talking about the paisley, you said that there's a, an, like a historical reference of paisley from like the Middle East. Is that correct? Um, and that's like the paisley pattern is actually a reference to sperm? It's a reference to the seed. Uh, it's a Persian motif that has been adopted many times by rebels uh, in society. It was very popular during the 60s countercultural movement, um, paisley prints for clothes. Hmm. Um, but the origination would be, you know, Persian rugs um, and other uh, textiles like that, which um, were, you know, uh, rooted in the you know, tree of life. Um, the seed, the fertility. Um, and so what I did with the Bukaki sperm paisley, sorry, excuse, I couldn't say my R's until I was 13 years old, which um, I believe actually really helped in developing my voice and learning how to find my voice and uh, figure out what I truly wanted to say as a creator. Um, but every now and again, uh, I, it trips me up. So my Bukaki sperm paisley um, is a marriage between the paisley print 
um, with the eye of providence, which is the all-seeing eye of God. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of times where people, women uh, are sexually assaulted and, um, you know, so much of the trauma and the effects of it, uh, you know, if they get pregnant or something like that, then, then they need to go take, you know, pre- you know, preventative measures or, you know, figure out what kind of healthcare options if they want to carry to term, et cetera. But there's so much pressure always put on the female in those circumstances. And so what I wanted to do with the Bukaki sperm paisley is kind of, you know, look at the other half of that equation, which is that there is a sperm that fertilizes an egg and we each contribute 23 chromosomes uh, to the total of 46, which creates a human being. And so the eye of providence, the all-seeing eye of God is a warning to men who actually, um, you know, if it wasn't for men, uh, you know, having uh, ejaculation inside of a female, um, then there would be no unwanted pregnancies, period. Um, so, you know, the, uh, number one cause of an unwanted pregnancy, uh, arising, um, is actually because someone doesn't want to wear a condom or, you know, they've came inside or they do that stealth thing where they slip the condom off. I mean, these are all big problems, you know, but, um, God is watching, uh, God is watching all the time. I'm a true believer in the creator as a creative, because when I find myself in my greatest flow state, uh, things are revealed to me that I cannot explain. Um, it's almost like a scientific experiment where each time I decide to create something, I have some questions and then through the work um, leads me to some resolutions uh, as well as usually just more questions. Wow. Yeah. Um, it just made me think of you know things like Plan B and then also the fact that I think 50% of the states right now have uh, – illegal abortion right or abortion is illegal in like 50 percent of the states right now so um... yeah i mean i just saw that in texas meta had handed over um messages that a mother had gotten for her 17 year old to get some abortion pills online when all that went down and that girl's now 19 and she's gonna go to prison um for having gotten abortion pills as a 17 year old girl um because facebook or meta um you know is uh participating with the surveillance state um, of policing women's bodies. Right. So that's, I mean, it's such a powerful piece with the, you know, the, the combination of the eye of God of uh, somebody watching the men who perform these irresponsible acts and, um, and yeah. And then, and the sperm itself um, and the, you know, biological, physical, um, I guess, um, mm, what would it be? Like the, I mean, just the biological, what, like, um, well, I mean, just like the, I mean, I guess just biological function. Yeah, well, I think, you know, one thing that actually kind of, you know, I think is worthy of discussion um, with that piece is just that, you know, I think a lot of times people think, you know, oh, you know, the the sperm uh, swam to the egg and that's how the person is created. And like they give, I feel like they make it seem as if personhood is more, you know, something that comes from the sperm, but actually it's, um, you know, if, if we were going to get super uh, scientific about it, it would be that the, the egg, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the mitochondrial DNA is passed along the uh, matrilineal um inheritance and so there's actually a lot more in the egg than in the sperm but that gets you know i have my undergraduate degree in biology and environmental science so you know i i do um see a lot of marriage between between the two between art and science which is actually how the greeks saw it saw it you know um and some of the greatest inventions were made wow amazing uh so when we were talking about putting on a show last uh you know last winter uh you were in los angeles and you were uh, in the process of obtaining a master's degree. That's correct. Yes. And, yeah. Could you um, briefly talk about that? Sure. Um, so I have been at the University of Southern California's School of Cinematic Arts, pursuing my master's in screenwriting for film and television. Um, and while I was there is when I had taken a printmaking class after I had experienced um, in the middle of my education a uh, drug facilitated sexual assault 
And so um, I decided to channel those experiences into art. Um, a lot of people were like, well, why don't you just write about it, you know? But when it comes to writing something for film or TV, I mean, that's a process that can take, you know, years, sometimes 10 years, you yeah. know? And I mean, I believe also, yeah, you, you want to communicate something that maybe can't be expressed in words and you want exactly. to visual you know, language. And, and art can also be so laborious to the body that, you know, if you have physical trauma stored inside of you, something that's so um, physically um, exertive, like printmaking, you know, I found myself like my arms would get so tired, but it felt good because I was able to get a lot of anger out through making the work, um, you know, a lot of frustration. Um, and, uh, so when I decided to do that, um, I did that, I, I decided to take a printmaking class because it's like, you know, like fingerprinting and kind of investigative work and, you know, how do you leave your mark behind, um, leaving traces, that sort of concept. Um, and so you mentioned um, that there is a, an active investigation in Los Angeles that, um, you know, this work corresponds to an event that happened to you. Yeah. So what I was um, looking to express is that uh, I needed to find, you know, not just something to make immediately, but also, you know, art, art is documentation art is um, a means of catharsis. It's a way to tell a story. Autobiographical. And exactly. And so, um, and it can take as long um, or as short as you want. So you can make a piece yeah. of art and, you know. So the work minutes. is very cathartic for you. Correct. Um, yeah. But I also see it as protection. Um, I see it as a way to say these things happen to me and um, to make sure nothing like that ever happens to me again. And you can retain this information and you can uh, disseminate it and make other people aware of what happened and also people can relate to it. Um, so, um, well, when I think about art and particularly rape and art, that's really a story that's been told by men when it comes to art history. There's only one like the real... rape of the Sabine women, like back in right like, the rape of the Sabines, right? Sabine. Or, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not I'm sure not what sure. it's pronounced. Yeah, <laughs> Me either actually. But then there's also um, Jupiter raping Europa. Um, rape, you know, there's also the, the one with the swan. Um, but you know, that's a, oh, yeah. a, a yeah. an allegory for a penis or for a male, right? Um, but basically, rape has really been something that men have told, and it looks, uh, you know, like you know, like a kind of victorious thing in art, you know, it looks like um, pride or valor, or strength, or, you know, they always, uh, you know, depict the, the male in this way. Um, but the only real piece that I can think of from, you know, that time period from a long time ago, right, like uh, in the 1700s would be Artemisia Gentileschi, right, who painted uh, Judith slaying Holoferns, which was about her rape. Um, you, do you know this the story? No. So she was a uh, assistant to a painter and her father was also a painter. And so he had hooked her up with that job, but then the guy raped her. And so back then, you know, you'd have to marry your rapist. And um, so she, I mean, and that's still true in many places in the world today, but um, including the United States where you have child brides and stuff like that. I mean, come on. But in any case, um, in the, trial she took him to court and she said you got to marry me man and he was like i'm already married so that was a big thing and so what she did is she painted her and another um female uh beheading him but up until you know only maybe about 40 years ago in the 80s do you really start to see like feminist artists really talking about their own experiences with, with their bodies and stuff i mean Maybe Yoko Ono with cut piece is also, you know, commentary on, you know, um, right. and their autonomy of self. But, you know, as far as like rape, you know, that's a, it's a, something that, you know, women are never believed right away. Everyone always casts doubt, you know, of course she wants it, you know, I mean, they're always, it's, what are you wearing or why were you there? Or, you know, and it, yeah, so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, to delve into that direction, it, it, we'd just be here for, for a long time. I know, but it's You're... important to channel those ex um, expressions because um, you can't just carry that stuff around. Right. It has to go somewhere. And I like to say the art is like fart, better out than in. <laughs> okay. Um, Welcome to my fart school. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> that makes sense. And for people that would like to view Julia Morrison's artwork, uh, you're able to check out uh, a lot of work on Instagram, which is Jelly Morrison. That's the handle. And also on Twitter, it's the same handle, right? Jelly Morrison. Yeah, so J-E-L-L-Y and then Morrison. Um, that name is uh, a name that you you formed or created at some point. You were born in yeah. in California. and Correct. Um, um, well, everyone always calls me, you know, Jelly or Jelly Bean or um, – Jelly Belly, those are all nicknames from being a kid and stuff. But then when it came time to create a social media handle back in the days when I was in my undergrad, you know, everyone said, don't use your real name because you're never going to get a job, et cetera. Right. So I chose Jelly. And then um, then uh, mm-hmm. I also started my tag, uh, which Jelly on Toast, which is a reproductive health and rights symbol that I created probably in like 2012. Oh, um, sort of symbolism for that imagery of jelly on toast. Yeah, also. jelly uh-huh. jelly slang for the female anatomy, you know, like I don't think you're ready for this jelly. This body's too bootylicious. Like she's talking about like all of the goods, you know. Okay. And um, there's a lot of other uh, jelly references in music, particularly jazz. Um, I always thought jelly was like uh, jealous. But is that oh. another um, use no, of it? I'm not sure. Uh, jelly slang for pussy. You put it on toast to consume yourself and on the wall in the fight for the autonomy of the female self. All right. So <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. But yeah, so that's something that I've been doing for a long time. But um, after spending a night in the uh, precinct, that's not really something I want to do again. Right. So your latest work on... Jelly Morrison on Instagram that viewers can um, check out. I see these, you know, these five collages. Um, that's I, I, I'm guessing that you use Photoshop to create them. Yes. So these, I mean, this, it's, there's a, a lot of symbolic meaning going on here, and uh, there's a particular uh, house that is uh, located in Los Angeles that was designed by, what do we say his name was? Neutra? Yeah. Richard Neutra. Richard Neutra, an Austrian architect. Um, I'm guessing he's not around anymore or I have no idea. No, he is not. Uh, The house dates back to like the era of uh, of Charlie Chaplin as well. So it's it's, what is like a landmark house or something? Correct. Yeah. The house was built in the 1930s. It was built for a Russian and Ukrainian film producer, actress couple, and um, it just has a, a long history of um, interesting activities there. Uh, it was built uh, for secrets, actually. So, you know, there's these floor-to-ceiling windows that, you know, can show the interior of the house, but there's hidden rooms, movable walls um, in the residence. Um, but in any case, this was something that was that was popular for a lot of um, these mid-century modern homes. You know, I've I've been in many homes that have these like you know movable walls or like you know a secret room, uh, library room, these kinds of things. Um, so it's not uncommon, but um, so mm-hmm. um, so again, this is this is still a pending um, Los Angeles police investigation, and we're not going to mention any names and. Do you want to? I mean, it's a very sensitive topic. Uh, is would you like to share any information about? Uh, yeah, let's just what talk happened, about the... like when you arrived at this house um, in twenty twenty. It was in, it was in twenty twenty one. We won't talk too much about like the details mm-hmm. of the case or anything like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. because I'd like to just let the LAPD continue um, their investigation. But the artwork itself is something that um, I felt like I needed to make because the house is currently for sale, and uh, my rapist mm-hmm. uh, had lowered the. Um, price of the house uh, by a couple million dollars in March after I started to tease, um, you know, pieces of the rape stamp artwork on my Instagram account Um, because, you know, it's been about two years since the assault. And so um, I am looking to protect my life um, as I feel as if um, sometimes there are weird things going on around me, like I'm being watched or followed. Um, and so, you know, the artwork is, is really, um, I know it, it, it's, uh, arresting, 
Um, but I'm hoping that it will lead to some arrests. Right. Yeah, it's very intense artwork. Um, I'm, I'm, right now, again, I'm, I'm looking at the the last five images posted on Jelly Morrison Instagram. And uh, and the, this series is entitled Mr. Sock, right? Is this correct? Yeah, it's, it, it, well, it's part because you had the, you also have the Lino cut. So it's like the Bukaki references this too. This that series, or and yeah. then the Lino cut series, which um, we can talk about in a second. And then this this is also part of this. All you know, all three things that we mentioned are part of the Mister Sock series. Yeah. So art from Mister Sock is an anagram. It's a puzzle of my rapist's name, and I did it that way so that I could invite my audience to um, experience the kinds of emotions and feelings that I'm going through as I um, look, you know, to reveal the details about what happened to me that night. You know, I'm inviting the audience to investigate with me as I um, seek to find out the truth of what happened. So these these uh, photoshopped images are graphic, I'd say. I mean, they're censored, but they're the most literal and graphic and uh, surreal. And then the lino cut, which was uh, between the bukkake and and this the photoshopped work. Uh, can you talk about that? Because that focuses on well, the, the, the cut, architecture of the the lino cut, the rape stamp, um, which is called our house in the series. Our house was the first piece that I made in the Art from Mr. Sock series, and that's because it's a map in three acts of what happened um, in my recollection of the events and movements of the night. And I did that in order to guide my detective's investigation at the LAPD and so that he'd be able to know which security cameras in the garden to look for because this house is a landmarked house. So um, it has security cameras all over the place, uh, trained on every window and every door. Um, and so, I mean, you, you even need to have a code, um, that takes your photo when you come through the, the, the walls. So, um, of the, of, of the, from the street, but in any case, um, I'm sorry, where, where were we? Looks like <laughs> Sometimes I can get a little lost if, if you know, we're talking about well, this. Well, the uh, art for a... Mr. Sock, uh, our house rape stamp is, uh, located on, uh, the Jelly Morrison Instagram website, uh, or Jelly Morrison Instagram, uh, link tree. Yeah, you can and find it on my profile. My profile there. It and yeah, it looks like you're you're coming at it from different angles, and and this, I mean, this this, this was part of your experience speaking with the LAPD about the the locations of where incidents had occurred. Yes, and so um, in terms of the estate checkmate, which are the photo collages. Um, that I felt that I needed to make those pieces because um, I had shared the rape stamp artwork, our house with the realtor and uh, they took it off of their home website, but one of the realtors continues to represent it on his personal website. So I decided that I needed to screenshot the images of the pictures that they were using um, that realtor has since taken new photos of different angles so that you can't see the couch <laughs> from the angle at which I've put my body back on the couch, uh, drugged. Um, and so, um, that couch is built into the property. So my, um, my commentary here is that, you know, I have to live with this memory. And so, you know, this house, uh, it's a historic cultural monument. So, you know, I'm poking the bear and asking, who does this house really belong to? When something's a historic cultural monument, it belongs to the public. That's our house. And we deserve to know what people are doing in there. The rich and powerful, particularly in Hollywood, tech, any of these businesses, you know, they're facing a real reckoning right now with the public, which is that they can no longer act with impunity. In the age of the internet, is this due, due to social media, correct. In I mean, in the age of the internet, you know, it's led to, um, you know, an era of accountability. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, particularly when we look at movements, we really do need um, platforms like Twitter, Instagram, hashtags, uh, and people to spread the messages because 
you know, look at Arab Spring, you know, if it sure. wasn't for Twitter, there'd be no revolution. Um, if it wasn't for, you know, also in the Hong Me Kong, too, pro- Hong Kong Black protests, Lives Matter. You know? Yeah. Right. I'm... Black Lives Matter. Me too. And I'd have to say, though, when it comes to the Me Too stuff, what's really hard is that there is usually not any camera footage. So, you know, in mm. my in my case, with my situation, fortunately, because of the nature of the house, there's going to be footage. Um, and if there's not, then there, then that's an admission of guilt. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, other movements, like, you know, thank God for, uh, you know, the proliferation of the cell phone to expose what police have been doing, brutalizing people of color for decades. decades. And I mean, you know, we look at Rodney King in the 90s and, you know, the reason why that, you know, was one of the first uh, moments where that kind of brutality was exposed was because, you know, there was someone just happened to be there with a camcorder. But now, you know, we all have cell phones, we can pop them right out. But unfortunately, when people are being raped, um, it usually happens by someone that they know in a private residence where um, these kinds of things, you know, it's just gets much harder um, to expose. And that's, yeah. that's why women end up using uh, text messages. Maybe in the future other... also with technology, I mean, contact lenses that record, um, you know, like, oh, gosh, I, that's I don't want that. OK, kidding. <laughs> Well, that's no, that's that's where you. we're headed. I think. I think we're um, so that, maybe there, but um, yeah, I, I think I think Google and my Apple's point, working my on point that. My point was just that you know when it comes to the Me Too movement, which I feel like has um, faced a lot of backlash, every um, advancement uh, that women have made has always faced backlash um, throughout history. I mean, that is every single time. And so it comes in waves, right? Like an ocean, right? Movements, you know, they require lots of drops of water, and every drop counts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's one thing about the ocean that I know is that you can't stop the waves. The waves just keep coming. So sometimes you need to just go with the flow and not fight it, right? People don't like Me Too because it holds up a mirror to society of something that's been going on forever. I mean, women, you know, are really I mean, like in Hollywood, the- especially, right? I mean, like just uh, back in like those, like what was it, the 1920s, like those musicals I heard. I mean, I mean, this is, I, I have no evidence, but just like whatever. I mean, like from here to like even though to Mr. Miramax, like, yeah, just whatever executives, you know, want to do oh, to like I mean, get a part or whatever. I mean, it was or... called the casting couch for a reason. And oh. a lot of casting directors back then would literally set up uh, actresses with people on dates. I mean, that was what they were doing. And it wasn't about, um, you know, talent or mm-hmm. drive, ambition, you know, um, but, it, you know, it technically, um, I mean, the casting couch thing came came mm. about from that. But in terms of just women and their fight and their liberation against the patriarchy, women uh, really are the first domesticated animal. I mean, outside of like, uh, you know, chickens and cows and all those things. But like, you know, I would say even before that, like, just the idea of, um, you know, the nuclear family and, and trying to control reproduction. Yeah. Because if you know that you're, if you're a female's at home, then you know that, you know, the baby's yours, right? But the moment that female went out into the public sphere, now it's like, you know, I mean, I, because of my undergraduate degree in biology, I think about things a lot in terms of, um, you know, passing on one's genes and, uh, you know, how that affects human behavior. Yeah, I don't know why I just thought of like the Jerry Springer stuff or like Maury Povich and it's like, you know, the, the DNA test reveals that you oh are God. the father or like, so um, oh I don't know what that means. I just thought of that. Yeah. But I was thinking, you know, like other, before that, like with suffragist movements and like just um, just the rights of, of females. Uh, I feel very excited and very proud of the work that I'm making right now. Um, yeah, and uh, it, I, I know that you know it can be polarizing. It might cause people to have uncomfortable emotions, um, but I'm, but you know, uh, I I'm sorry you've experienced uh, things like this, and and even prior to this, with uh, you know, emotional and psychological. Um, I don't know if I mean what could I say abuse, but. Um, with your your NFTs that you had created in was it 2021? Yeah, those were the uh, NFTs about sex slaves and royalty, billionaires. That also tied into Hollywood. Correct. 
So there's, yeah. Um, it's weird. I saw some like weird Instagram reel the other day. Matthew McConaughey was on there, and he's talking about like like Hollywood. And then he's, he he said a he said a term that I had never really heard. He's like the Northeast elite, and like Hollywood. I don't know what he was what he got into, but um, yeah. So. You're gonna send me down a rabbit hole tonight. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so yeah. Um, the Northeast elite, and then I don't the know what he called the Hollywood. Elite. I don't know what he called the Hollywood people, but um. Yeah, people with islands and things like that, and oh, yes. movies that are out right now and stuff too. Um, so they're well, in terms getting, of the yeah. collages, you know. Um, yeah. So the I the NFTs. It, yeah. Do you want to go into? Well, that one or, of the NFTs is in is in one of the collages. It's the Caligula triptych. Um, yeah, the triptych. Yes. Yeah, but in terms of just the collages themselves, uh, I just I found a lot of strength in making them. They have um, a lot of different symbols that are personally meaningful for me a lot of spirit animals um the tyrannosaurus rex i have these extra ribs in my neck which the tyrannosaurus rex also has um and uh the bear which is also another powerful symbol for me alcade which is the star uh, at the tip of the big dipper which is the big bear in the sky was on the horizon when i took my first breath when i was born yeah so, you know like you like the it just reminds me of a professor that I had in art school. His name is Rafael Ortiz. He had a couple of solo shows at the Whitney Museum. And um, I remember talking to you. Maybe I, I mentioned it to you like on the phone, like uh, probably in the wintertime that like you um, are totally aware of everything that you're uh, putting out. Like you're, you know, you have, you're not just, you have a, you have a, a, a I mean, a, a like a plan or I mean like a, of the work, a blueprint or um, you're fully aware and conscious of uh, the imagery that you're, that you're releasing. And I, I love that part of, uh, of the work because um, I think that artists need to be responsible for what they're saying. And it's, you know, the aesthetic part can be, it can come like secondary to it. It's just the, the meaning It's like powerful content. That's uh, that's self-referential. And um, and you want to use it to you know for cathartic reasons and also to empower yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so. you for saying that. I when I when I hear something like that, it makes me um, just think about how I got to this place where I'm at now, where I feel that because I grew up in a chaotic environment as a child, um, including in and out of foster care, among other. Uh, familial situations that um, I had to look through things like paperwork, pictures, you know, do a lot of detective work just to figure out what happened to me. Um, this has been a lifelong discovery and process. And uh, I feel that because I've had to look around and create meaning my whole life, uh, you know, because, you know, people, some people are given values. You know, like you, you get raised by someone that like instills you how to think and how to move, how to behave and all these things. And I really had to decide a lot of those things for myself, which was a lot of trial and error. Um, but, you know, when you have to really think about what are your values, then you really have to choose them. And that's the that's the true freedom in choosing. Right? Wow. Yeah. But um, but I do I do look for meaning in everything that I do. Uh, if we rewind um, back to some of your early artistic practices, was did you start acting, um, or were you modeling at first? Or I mean, briefly, do you feel like talking about that? Or yeah, sure. Um, well, I think we we spoke about this the other day briefly, which was just that when I moved to New York, it was to study acting. Which oh is... yeah, so you I mean as a biology major was it or what was well, it? Was, I, I, it I finished my degree in biology mm -hmm. and environmental science on a full scholarship to... and you, what did you take like a theater class there and then your yes. professor re recommended yes. coming to new york too there was a theater professor who you know um through learning stanislavski's technique which is really like the method stuff was she... that over by union square like where, where that was where in williamsburg virginia oh. williamsburg oh, okay. virginia which is where um i went to the college of william and mary Oh, okay. And so at that school, you know, and in that class, that's where I first started to really look at my life in the trauma that I faced as a child. And that's when I really started to learn how to um, allow myself to feel things like anger or devastation 
which I feel like if I had allowed myself to feel something like that, I would have fallen apart up until that age. So, you know, what age he, was that around? Like, I guess uh, you were like, like 22 20, or 21. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I finished my undergrad. And so then, um, Oh no, I meant like the Stanislavski. What is Stanislav- the Stanislavski? Well, yes, well, that's by exactly. Union Square, right? Yeah. No, honey, or, that, no, that was at William class- and Mary. Oh, um, but I took okay. I took I came here to study um, Meisner technique, which is a little a different school okay. of thought um, okay. about about acting, which is uh, instead of instead of going into all your own emotional reserves and exhausting them through sense and other kinds of emotional recall through memory, which is a lot of the method stuff, right? Um, Meisner is rooted in repetition where you just repeat what the other person says and it might change a little bit, but it's based on some structure. And if you really allow yourself to repeat and respond, you can tune your ear and your eye to truly listen and see what is authentic. And by doing that, you can really free yourself. And so that's what got me onto my impulses. And so I went to a place called Maggie Flanagan Studio, which is here in the city. And that's why I moved to New York. And then, you know, I'd get street scouted sometimes for some like modeling opportunities and stuff, which were always great. You know, I've got some mad G's doing that every now and again, but that's not really something that I ever was interested in pursuing. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, more focused on creating, you know, artworks rather than being parts of, you know, other other people's projects. I just passive, but you, you I just have too much, I have too much to say and I have enough stories to really, um, I think affect some change in the world. And I'm not afraid. And fear really, you know, I think holds a lot of people back. But I like to say that fear is useless unless you face it. Yeah, well said. That makes a lot of sense. Every time I was afraid to do something, I always made myself do it. So is that simply... I mean, like getting out of your comfort zone or one's comfort zone? or Yeah, I mean, have no regrets, you know, and always say yes to yourself. And so when I first, you know, when I took that first acting class in my undergrad, it was, um, it was because I had failed uh, a micro econ final. Uh, I had something happen the night before and I just said, fuck it. I cut all my hair off. (laughs) (laughs) I put it into two braids and I just cut it right off and I just went to the final in the morning and failed it. (laughs) I, I don't know if I even filled out the questions. I was like, I'm not doing this. So then I, um, even though I had gotten that full scholarship, I then took out a fifth semester loan. And during that, I said, I'm going to take a full schedule and I'm going to give myself all the art classes that I wish I had had as a child. And um, because I never really had, you know, a lot of uh, attention of, you know, anyone taking me to the the bookstore, the art store, you know, sports, these kinds of things were not really... um, offered in my uh, experience growing up. So I was like, you know, I have to say yes to myself. So yes, have no fear, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Um, But always, you know, nurture the child within you, which is where you're going to find the most creative stuff. Wow. Yeah. A lot of things that um, I mean, like some, yeah, children with, um, I mean, parents like myself, I, I do all those things. Um, you well, know, like I think, all the things that you mentioned, and try to foster creativity. Yeah. Well, in the um, the our house, lino cut rape stamp, uh, artist statement. I I spoke a little bit about how when I was printing that map of the house over and over and over in my graduate dorm at USC, I had like a flashback to being in these therapy um, sessions with my therapists from the ages of five to 11, which was paid for by the witness protection program because of, you know, some drug dealers that had attacked um, me as a child. And so um, I was in these sessions and I, um, at first, you know, all she had was this like sandbox. And so I'd be raking the sand at like five years old, just fucking over and over and over, just like you know, and I'm like, please give me some markers. And you, you, and, re- you remember this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so eventually I um, got her to get me some markers and uh, some paper. And then I would draw just over and over the same image of a house. Um, sometimes I'd also draw like my dream bedroom, but I would, sh- you know, draw the- these images over and over and over. And um, I went back to that moment when I was making our house And, um, that, you know, at one point the therapist said to me, can't you draw anything else? You were drawing a house. Yeah. 
my yeah. dream, my dream house. And so, you know, she said, eventually, can't you draw anything else? And I said, and I said, I didn't want to draw anything else because I didn't have any space of my own because I was a foster kid. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I kind of remember you mentioned that, um, that you had been deprived of like, uh, yeah, like uh, not you had a house, but like you, you didn't have a room for a while, like as a kid. Yeah. I, my grandmother, um, um, just space, my right? grandmother, who's actually in, um, estate checkmate, the collage number five, which is titled Take Me to Your Leader. Um, my grandmother's there in the bottom right corner. She was a very interesting woman who had taken care of me and my brother for about six years before she passed away um, as a child. But we shared. She could just it. do the best she, that she could. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. shared a bed, and you know, eventually, I started sleeping on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. I, as I got older, I just needed my own space. Yeah, that's also something that um, yeah people take for granted. But I think there's a lot of um, households that um, you know people grow up in that. It's not uncommon in New York, though. I've talked to some New Yorker kids, and they're like, they're like, girl, I've lived you know in a bunk bed with my like you know up like three other bunk beds in the room for my entire high school. I'm like, wow, how did you do it? And yeah, just you know from any you know, from, from migrants, asylum seekers, like, you know, totally yeah. people get through things. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, there's a, a lot of, um, you know, resiliency in the human spirit. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, were there any memorable roles that, um, I mean, I don't know if we don't have to talk too much about it, but, um, I mean the, the one, Fun movie that you had done recently, I guess, is that Jim Jarmusch movie, um, the uh, the zombie movie. Yeah, that was fun. That came about in a, a really – That came out in such a funny way. I mean, it came about um, because I had met Bill Murray in a uh, job that I had where I was a hostess at a restaurant, and he had come in for a party at some point. In L.A. or New York? Here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew the managing um, – uh, was it the general manager of the restaurant because he had been in Life Aquatic with a smaller part. And so Bill had come in to book like a, he was part of a private party or something in the back, one of the back rooms. And so um, then, you know, that started our, you know, friendship. And then eventually one day um, I had actually uh, suffered an accident and I had this like, you know, this like open wound on my face and he had like checked in on me or, I said to him, I was like, oh, um, you know, I've got this like wound on my face right now. And he said, great, I'm in a zombie film. He's like, maybe you should be in it. And I wasn't really like sure if he was serious at first (laughs) because, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't want to put any like prosthetics or makeup on top of a wound like that. And, you know, I've been on many film sets. Yeah, Yeah, but in any case, that was fun. Um, You know, (laughs) Jim Jim Jarmusch – said to me something that I will never forget about zombies when we were on set and came up to me and he said, um, you know, in, in order to play the zombie, which was tennis girl zombie, which is a role that, you know, I think they had like come up with for me. They were, he said, um, in order to play your tennis girl zombie, you have to find that inside of you, which is broken. Wow. And so, you know, each one of the characters in that film, like one of them is like coffee, coffee, right? I think that's um, is it Billy Idol. No, for fuck's sake. Who am I thinking of? Oh, it's going to kill me right now. If I Iggy can't... Pop? Thank you. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, when he's standing on a stage and his blonde hair is flowing behind him, is <laughs> like with a guitar amazing i've seen it um anyways um, you've seen iggy pop with a guitar yeah i saw him perform somewhere. with a guitar okay yeah. i have never seen him with a guitar but that's that's cool yeah i saw him perform and i've never seen it. he was so chiseled and i was so far away from the stage i'm but sure I, I could still at, at see. times yeah i'm pretty sure he had a guitar all i remember is <laughs> okay. shiny and his blonde hair yeah they had him on a big screen too sometimes you yeah, know yeah. I look up, but in any case, um, so my, you know, tennis girl zombie, I had to find something inside of me about the tennis that was broken, you know, in order to play <laughs> the character. What was it that you like delved into? Like to, I mean, like what I, I have to, I, I have to see the clip um, of the movie because I think I watched well, the beginning of it know, with, uh, I, yeah. I would have had to have, you know, died. You know, I didn't come up with like a big zombie girl backstory. Um, I do feel like I am zombie girl. I use that emoji a lot. Um 
not because I am dead inside, but I like to, you know, I have a dark sense of humor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're also involved with, uh, a, I mean, you have created a soundtrack for the Netflix series entitled Cam, C-A-M. That's actually a film. Um, oh, it's a film. It's, yeah. And you have you have a song that you composed? No, not- it was a song that got licensed um, because I actually had a, uh, I had met with the director through the audition process um, and had made it to a callback. And so then um, years later, when they were finishing the film, the, that role went to Madeline Brewer, Madeline Brewer. Um, she was on A Handmaid's Tale and um, very talented. And so they went with her. Um, but a few years later, when they were doing the post on what they had shot, they were looking for music. And so I had shared um, this track from my old electronic music project, Alien Bay. And um, Daniel Goldhaber, who uh, is the director, he was like, I love it and I want to see if I can fit it in somewhere. And so it plays in one of the cam girl rooms. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're over on Delancey Street right now, and um, I think it was in 2021 um, when you had co-curated uh, the Anna, Anna Delvey show, um, which was a visual art show um, on Delancey Street at, at a space. It was, it was like a pop-up. Yeah, and it was Alfredo just Martinez had co-curated it with you. Noah Becker was in a show. I had some paintings in it, um, Rev Jen, Hectad, um, and... You had you had done a performance uh, in that space. I, there must have been like twenty five artists in the show, right? Like- yeah. Well, I later smashed the White House toilet that I had stuffed with uh, Russian honey pots by Maria Butina's affidavit, um, which has a lot of juicy Twitter conversations in it, which can be found on her Wikipedia in one of the margins. Um, but anyways, I shredded that and I had put it inside of the uh, nothing to see here white house toilet sculpture which was one of two sculptures i had in that show um and i filled it with urine and peed in it excuse me and um with resin and um urine and resin and then smashed it and another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, we can wrap it up. And um, as I... I think you have provided a lot of information, but is there anything off the top of your head that you would give to any aspiring artists who want to, uh, to explore multiple creative uh, paths like you have? Yeah. Um, well, I would go back to just saying, you know, we, not to police your own instincts, that um, your impulses as a creative being, um, as a, child of god that when you hear inside of yourself something that's like i gotta go make that thing you know don't make it because you think you're gonna get money from it because you think it's gonna be the thing that's gonna you know (laughs) solve your your rent problem because it's probably not um but you never know what's gonna happen uh in the process of making it Mm um and so you know that is that is such such a wonderful um, experience of self discovery. Yeah, I it mean, doesn't it doesn't have to be for anyone else. No one even ever needs to even see what you make. But as long as you just make it, because there's something inside of you that compels you to do it. Um, don't you know follow what you think is trendy or you know what you see other people doing. Do what you need to see in the world and. Um, you know, always stick up for yourself, you know, embrace your anger. And like, you know, Robert Greene, who wrote those books like Mastery, Seduction, etc. Like he says, you know, channel your dark side, you know, don't be afraid to find those dark emotions, because that's where you can really find, you know, um, the uh, like energy to overcome the inertia of changing. 
Wow. Yeah, that's so well said. Um, yeah, having a voice to express oneself and um, whether it's, it's a, with it for an audience or not, or I mean, for social media or just for oneself to have a just a way to communicate and express ideas that you can't do through words. Or, it's a real alchemy. Whether it's like noise music or yeah. um, or just you know I mean, messing I mean, around on a procreate or, or or painting or sculpture or. I mean, thinking like, about Sinead O'Connor, like you know, she was you know punk rock queen, right? Like she just always did her own thing. Didn't care about what other people thought. Yeah, yeah that's true. You know, um, since you mentioned the noise music, which I feel is like kind of in that like zone. It's just like, just go get it out, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. um, well, um, yeah, thank you for sharing your insights and experiences with us. And um, it's definitely inspiring to hear about your, um, you know, your experiences as an actress and musician and visual artist. Um, so, yeah. You know, wish you continued success in all your artistic pursuits. Does that sound like me? It doesn't because some of that's from ChatGPT. No <laughs> fucking way. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, well, that that was very um, nice. Um, but I appreciate you uh, taking the time to try to find something on on ChatGPT to help. Uh, revise some, re revise yeah, yeah. you know i actually used it myself the other day um i was kind of curious to hear what it might come up for um in terms of one of my next projects um which in involves pirates and so um i asked for it to come up with a monologue and a pirate voice and i was i was quite impressed i'll be honest it definitely gave me a few kernels of you know thought um mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. different little phrases I mean, that that you know we're, are we're common. Heading, yeah with ai the we're thing heading. is is that like a pirates you know like these kinds of phrases like the reason why they're common is because they're all over the internet and so the chat gpt like pulled them for me mm -hmm. you know so whether i find them on chat gpt or i find them on a wikipedia like doesn't really matter you know i mean a pirate's phrase is a pirate's phrase you know um like but anyways, so I saw a child in New York City this morning in a stroller, and he had an eye patch and a hat. So I, 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 I guess I figured that like maybe the doctor gave him that to like, you know, I don't think he was wearing a Halloween costume. I think that he might have had a condition, and you know, so he might have been wearing an eye patch and like the pirate hat. So maybe the like maybe the office three, gave it to a three him. Three cornered to, like, hat. Yeah, yeah, and he was in a stroller, and the mom was pushing him this morning on Houston Street. Um, well, I do have an eye patch coming myself, so. You have you have an eye patch what? I have an eye patch on its way. Um do you? As, yeah. Um, for, for a condition? For my pirate project. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's gonna that's gonna be coming up. That's coming, so stay tuned. Yeah, so uh viewers, please check out uh if you, to access uh, you know, imagery and content from Julia Morrison. Uh, the Instagram handle is called Jelly Morrison and the Twitter handle is also the same. And thank you to Noah Becker for um, allowing us to conduct this interview with White Hot Magazine. Thank you so much, Noah. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. All right. So have a great night.